Welcome, I'm Lise Wheel with The Pursuit of Justice. Well, it's stormy out there, and you know I'm talking about Stormy Daniels and Cohen and Avenatti, you know, names like that. You know, we just didn't really have those names in our lexicon a few weeks ago. But of course, with this president, now they are really in our everyday banter and our everyday, uh, you know, water cooler conversation. And, uh, you know, what do you do when you got something in? What is stormy kind of like that? Stormy day like that? You bring in somebody that can clear out that storm, make it calm for you. You bring in a communications director who can direct your communications. And I would bring in somebody that par excellence like that, who is no longer in that role. Well, he wasn't in that for very long that, for that. Um, but he was Anthony Scaramucci, who was the White House communications director. I'm going to bring him in in just a few moments um, to talk about that uh, kind of brouhaha that we're in right now and what his take on it is, technically speaking, but also what he thinks about uh, more personal situations. And I'll get into that with you, my dear friend. So stick with me in this pursuit of justice, because that is what we are about here. And we're going to go from Mr. Scaramucci to um, really a, a story that is is Manhattan-bound or New York-bound, but it's much broader than that. It really affects the whole country, and that is what has happened to the Attorney General here in the state of New York, uh, Schneiderman, the Attorney General, Eric Schneiderman, who really has been accused now by four women, four women of horrible sexual assault. And I'm going to bring in a very special guest, Ron Kuby, who's formerly with WABC and now has uh, law offices in Manhattan. He also has uh, knows a special counsel. He's uh, tangled with, uh, I don't mean dancing, I mean tangled as in tangled, with the special counsel who's been appointed to look into and potentially prosecute Eric Schneiderman for assault, potentially felony assault. I mean, the man could be in jail, could be in prison for what he's done to these women. And he's going to talk to us about what could happen to the disgraced uh, former attorney general of the state of of New York. So we've got two great guests here in the pursuit of justice, because that's what we are about uh, here in this new podcast. I'm so excited to be presenting this new podcast here, the pursuit of justice. It's so important, that word justice. Uh, It really is the the cornerstone, the pinpoint of of our country and our society. And we need it more than ever in the 2018 folks we've really got to be focusing on that and whatever and what all we do and and you'll see in my interviews here that that is what i'm focused on so first up first up to bat we have anthony scaramucci with formerly with the white house uh communications director with mr trump uh, president trump welcome anthony scaramucci to the pursuit of justice with lise wheel welcome Lise, you're going to bring me out of my shell, okay? I'm about to break out, okay? You know, I'm going to try it. I'm going to start with maybe, you know, teasing you out of your shell, um, getting you on a subject that you probably don't have an opinion about, but that's Mr. Avenatti here, you know, and the whole Stormy Daniels thing, and I'm sure you're pretty shy about it, but lately, just as of, a, you know, this last couple of days, last 24-hour news cycle, you know, he's, he's saying, kind of bring it on, you know, hey, other side, other Stormy Daniels side, you know, 
you guys aren't listening to me. You kind of been beating up my client, Stormy Daniels. So I'm going to, I'm going to post some things out there and I'm going to post some things about, uh, you know, uh, you know, Michael Cohen getting in an elevator with some Russian guys who were actually known for, uh, bribery and some things like that. They just been posting. What do you think about this, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, this latest? Well, you know, listen, I've, I've actually run into Michael Avenatti in a few different uh, settings, and most recently in, uh, in uh, you know, in the Hamptons over the weekend, actually at a party. I, look, he's a, he's a charming guy. He's an aggressive guy. Um, but he may not have his facts 100% right about certain specific things. I, I don't, and I'll, I'll maintain this lease until I see otherwise, or Robert Mueller uh, tells me otherwise. I, I didn't see any collusion, bribery, any type of collusive activity during the campaign. And even though I was only in the White House for a short period of time, I had worked on the campaign and with the president or the, then the candidate for almost two years and was on his executive transition team. So so I think the, the Michael Avenatti stuff related to Stormy Daniels, again, this is just my personal opinion, but I think that the American people have decided long ago that the personal lives of the presidents and the interactions that they have with the opposite sex are probably better left between the president and the first lady and, and, and their families. And so I don't necessarily think that's going to hurt the president. Uh, if anything, if you go back to the uh, President Clinton era. Yep, that's where I was just going. There, yep. uh, with, with, yeah, with Monica Lewinsky, you know, after the impeachment or during the impeachment, his approval rating went up. I think at the end of the day, I'm not saying that we're becoming France as it relates to dealing with our political leaders, but I think we're being way more forgiving over the last 25 years, least, uh, than we were, say, 50 years prior. So, so I'm not I'm not exactly sure directionally where Michael's going with his case. If he's, you know, if he's trying to hurt Michael Cohen and that will end up hurting the president, or I'm not exactly sure what he's doing. Somebody asked him once, well, would you settle? Let's say someone wrote you $50 million. Mm. They said no. And so wow. I'm rhetorically got a big question mark in my mind about that as well. So this obviously is about uh, hurting, hitting, removing the president. And so I don't understand the economic motivation there. Uh, and if it's just political, it doesn't sound like uh, that's enough motivation either. So hopefully mm. we'll peel the onion back far enough really understand what's going on. You, you said a couple. You not said, de- Detective you, Columbo. Right. No, you said a couple of things, though, that I want to that I want to ask you more about. You said you brought it back to uh, to uh, President Clinton. And I'll tell you, I was very much involved with that. I was investigative counsel uh, on the Judiciary Committee for the Democrats um, during that uh, impeachment. So I know that case very well. And the president was impeached, not for, you know, what happened with uh, Ms. Lewinsky, but for lying under oath, as you well know. And so, Correct. you know, the, the now what becomes very interesting. So you, you mentioned you brought up the impeachment. President Clinton was impeached. So there were implications for what happened, not about you know the sexual that that's that that the American public said exactly as you said. You know whatever happened happened. That's between uh, the president and his wife, um, then Hillary Clinton. Um, but there were consequences for him about the lying. The second thing you just said um, was about 
about um, uh, motives, and you said removing the president. Um, you know, do you think that's a possibility because you just said impeachment? And then I bring you to um, today. Today is the deadline for President Trump to file financial disclosure papers for 2017, disclosing whether or not he's going to say that there was a debt, that $130,000 debt. He didn't do that in in last year, saying, you know, that, that he didn't think that there was a debt that he had to pay for Cohen. But now that's changed since his own lawyer, uh, Giuliani, said, you know, yeah, he knew that there was this debt and he and he had he paid this uh, had to pay this debt to his own lawyer. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen now? Do you think he's going to disclose uh, in that financial form? OK, so let me unpack everything. So one mm-hmm. one thing. One, one thing at a time. The, fir- the first thing is that, yes, um, you know, I don't think the president is going to get removed from office. I can't tell you or assess the probability of potential impeachment because I don't know what's going to happen in the midterm elections. But if the, the Democrats win uh, and there's enough information in the Mueller report or there's some combination of things, they'll, they'll probably use the uh, Republican strategy from the ni- late 1990s and go to impeach the president, but I don't think he can get removed from office, frankly, the same way President Clinton did. And I, and again, I, I don't necessarily think it's a great strategy because we both know uh, the president's uh, popularity went up. Um, as it specifically relates to lying or not lying, um, I do think that that strategy of not testifying, because now you're under oath, may make a mistake or you may say something that you regret saying that could be an impeachable offense. Right. Um, I think that's a problem for the president because if there's right. an obstruction case, as we both know as lawyers, uh, we both know that you can obstruct justice even if you didn't commit a tr- crime. Right. Just the blocking of the law enforcement finding facts on you is enough of a crime. And so one of the one of the legal strategies here, this is something Kai Cobb certainly was a champion of, is leave open the possibility, at least, that he may go and testify to show that he has no obstruction and intent, to show that he's uh, going there with his heart on his sleeve, ready to tell people whatever the facts are. So we'll have to see how that unfolds. But first question, I don't think he gets removed from office for any of this. Second question, it's not clear to me that he's going to testify um, you know, lawyers would recommend probably that he not, but I do understand why they're trying to leave that open because they're trying to prove that there was no intent to obstruct justice. And then the last point, which I do think that uh, is open for debate, is the financial disclosure right. because you know it, it 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 may you know he's got a very complicated financial situation and. The $130,000 could be bundled in with other things. Um, and so it may have been on last year's thing, but just not broken out specifically uh, as it's been unveiled uh, in the last six to 12 months. So we'll have to see what he, what he puts down. But, you know, I think, I think one of the things that we're not being fair to uh, uh, the mayor, Mayor Giuliani, on is that there is a strategy to what the mayor is doing. He is... You know, I, I've been on Wall Street for 30 years. When you have bad information about a stock lease, the first thing you do is you pre-announce the earnings. You try to get all the bad information out there as quickly as possible because it has a settling effect on the market. And so 
Um, even though people are roundly criticizing the mayor, I do think that there is a strategy that's being deployed I, by uh, both him I understand and the president that. as it relates Anthony, to his interviews. I, Anthony, I understand that. I understand the strategy. I've got all that. But the the deadline is a hard deadline today. So you can t- you, I understand strategy and it can work or not work, but the paper's got to be filed and it's filed or not filed today. So, you know, mm-hmm. what about, you yeah, know, that's my, either, my <laughs> it's yeah, either so filed think, or not. I think the numbers will be in there. Oh, you do? Okay. I think okay. the numbers will be in there. Okay. I think Giuliani, yeah, I think Giuliani's indicating that. And I think that we're trying to prepare people for that. And so okay. I think the number will probably be in there. Okay. Okay. Um, do you think President Trump is a, is a great president? Um, a great president. Well, I think it's too early to define his presidency as great or not great. So I think that he's implemented policies that are by and large uh, helpful. Do I think he's had way more success than his adversaries would like to see him have? Uh, do I do I see uh, a big opportunity here to even the playing field on trade uh, to denuclearize the North Korean Peninsula? And I'll make, I'll make a very bold prediction here. I think he'll eventually get to a deal with the Iranians, which will be to the great shock and dismay of all the conventional theorists out there. So, so if, you, if you step back and look at the entire painting, uh, he's done a good job of reforming taxes. I think the Obamacare situation is completely intractable. Uh, what we learn about our government is once it's in place, it's very hard to get it dislodged. And so I don't I don't necessarily think they're going to have a solution for, quote unquote, repairing and repealing or repealing and replacing Obamacare. But if you step back and you say, how is this year gone? Uh, Policy wise, it's gone well, stylistically and from a communications perspective, I think the White House could be doing a lot better because what ends up happening is you could have great content, please. uh, But your style in terms of the way you're delivering the content uh, uh, could cause people to tune out or could cause people to react negatively. Um, and you got to get well, to well, Let's talk about that. Let's talk, to, uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Cause you talked about broad, broad picture. And I want to focus in mm-hmm. on, I want to really focus in because would you agree that the part of being great, the definition of great would be that the exercise of good judgment. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that, but I think that we have to be fair to these people. These people are human beings, and so even some of the greatest leaders have exercised poor judgment in, in different situations. Okay, let's, made, let's take, let's take, let's take it today. Let's take it today, judgment. The Kelly Sadler's comments about yeah. John McCain. I mean, you know, saying, let's just yeah. take, let's take it today, judgment. The Kelly Sadler comments about John McCain about his dying, and so it, it doesn't matter anyway. You know, uh, it doesn't matter anyway, he's dying. Um, that has become a huge, uh, you know, not 24 hour, but 48, you know, not, the story's just not going away. Uh, this White House aide that well, is. Both- that I'm yeah. this is not you well, know we both we both know why this right yeah well, don't you think that that no, shows I'm, a I'm lack of judgment from our president that is not issuing away, a public right? apology and is not firing yeah, well, well, this White House aide story is not right well that's the reason why the story is not going away so um, right. if the if the if the White House or Kelly herself or somebody 
issued a public apology, this story would have gone away. Of course. So I think what, what's happening here is that the intractability of the White House not to issue apologies, um, this is something born from the president's uh, unorthodox style, uh, which has led to some great business success and to some great political success. He's decided that uh, uh, offering up an apology is a sign of weakness, and he's decided that uh, if he offers up an apology, it creates a window where somebody will drive a Mack truck through or shoot a cruise missile. Do you think that shows good judgment, Anthony? Well, let me let me just back it up for a second. Okay, I, I, in this case, I really wish they would apologize, least. Okay. That would, would it okay. Said? That's well, fair. You may remember a press conference where President President Bush was asked. Have you done anything wrong? He said he couldn't think of anything. Uh, uh, President Obama was asked, have you done anything wrong? Oh, no, I can't think of anything. And the reason why they do that is that they're super fearful that they're going to say something that they did wrong, and then the press is going to spend two weeks pounding them on what they did wrong. In this case, I know Kelly very, very well, meaning Kelly Sadler. Um, She's a very nice person. I think she said something that was inappropriate. It's obviously reprehensible and inexcusable. But she is a person, and people do make mistakes. I obviously made a mistake on that phone line with that journalist. I thought he was a friend. He obviously wasn't. But the White House had a knee-jerk reaction to my mistake. They fired me immediately. Um, maybe that was a good idea. Maybe it wasn't. But I think they have to be a little bit more cautious on just knee-jerk reaction. Media jumps on somebody that's made a mistake, and then you immediately fire them. Because everybody, everybody listening to your podcast, Probably everybody in your recording studio has made mistakes or said things or done things that they've regretted. But it, so it seems to be, it seems to emanate, though. Let me just, just, just say for a second, it seems to emanate, though. These are, these are examples that happen sort of on a regular basis. You know, Eric Schneiderman's fall here in New York is a very tragic thing, really, for everybody's, everybody involved. Um, uh, you know, certainly the women and, and, and really f- for him. I mean, it's just it's all around a sad, sad thing. And Kellyanne Conway, as you know, one of Trump's chief political aides, uh, tweeted out, gotcha. Uh, I mean, yeah. what kind of judgment does that show? Yeah, well, I think I think, yeah. Well, you know, again, I mean, if you, if you, I mean, listen, I mean, this is, I don't like it. I wish we could have a ceasefire on both sides, but I think that was returning fire from uh, Attorney General Schneiderman's office where they were going very hard after the president, sending one missile after the next into his camp. And so that was like a retribution tweet. But if you're making the point that we got to stop this nonsense on both sides, you have a ardent supporter in that in me. If you're making right. the point that uh, you're, you're having a 24-hour news cycle go 96 hours potentially because you're not apologizing, and now the story is about, geez, what's wrong with you people? Why can't you offer up an apology? You know, I, I agree with that. And, and I would also say this. I, I, I obviously don't agree with a lot of Senator McCain's positions, but I do respect his patriotic service to the country, and I do respect his service in the military and his time as a prisoner of war. And so my point is you could disagree with somebody politically, but we're all Americans. And if we have some level of patriotism, we have to tip our cap to John McCain's service. And so, so uh, making that uh, gallows humor comment inappropriate, 
apologizing about it, totally appropriate, and then people should move on. But the fact that the fact that they haven't apologized, I think the temperature has now risen to a level where people are saying, okay, is that is that the kind of people that we want around? Okay, because we all know that we're making mistakes. We all know that it's okay to apologize from time to time. And so I think that's going to be a problem for the White House going forward because the media is going to stay on that thing uh, until they rip the, uh, the rip the sore open or the, or they make the sore deeper at least. Right. Right. Hey, Anthony, um, I, I did my research before you came on the wheel of justice podcast and I see you have a book coming out. I think it's in September. Yep, I got a book coming out. The working title of the book right now is The uh, Blue Collar President. Um, uh, I've been working on that feverishly uh, over the last month and a half. We're about uh, 85% of the way done. And uh, I'm excited about it because there's a lot of fun stuff in the book. I was on the campaign for, uh, as I said, I've been working with the, uh, the candidate slash president for two years. Um, <clears throat> my short stint in the White House is a tragic comedy. <laughs> um, I uh, make fun of myself. Good. Book. You know, and that's I the best thing if you can make fun of, of yourself. Of <laughs> yeah, amen. You know, I point out a lot of the mistakes that I made. You know, as I, I just left a uh, a prep school down here in D.C., the Episcopal, where I spoke, and I said, listen, I probably made 10 volumes of, uh, of phone books where the mistakes in my life, but about seven of them happened over 11 days in the White House. So <laughs> um, I, I, I do chronicle... I do chronicle what I observed, mistakes I made, strategic miscalculations. Also, the relationship that the White House has with the press and uh, why I felt it was so important to turn the lights and cameras back on there uh, because we really do need to have an open and free press and we need to have a society where people that are in power are checked carefully by the free press. Flip side of that, though, is the press does have a responsibility to do some objective reporting and some real good rigorous fact-checking stories. These sort of one-off anonymous source stories, you know, they get the press in trouble. They hurt the press's reputation. And so I try to write about both sides, uh, positive and negatives, and certainly a lot of personal negatives, things that I wish I had done better, uh, because I want somebody to read it who's younger uh, than me, at least, uh, and to look at the book and say, okay, hey, I can learn from some of the mistakes that this guy made uh, in a high-stress situation. Anthony Scaramucci here in Wheel of Justice. Um, thank you so much. I will be uh, standing in line to, to read that book. Um, I think it sounds fascinating. And I like a guy that uh, can, uh, you know, tell a, tell a book about himself or tell a tale about himself and, and have a sense of humor about it. Um, goodness knows we need to have that right in this it, world. It won't be... Hundred percent. It won't be sanitized, Lise. But thank you so much for bringing me on the show. I wish you great success with this. Thank you so much, and we'll have you back soon. I hope. Come back. Amen. Okay. All God right. bless. Take care. Bye-bye. Be good. Bye. My next guest is Ron Kuby, formerly with WABC Radio here in New York, and now with the Ron Kuby Law Offices. He's a criminal defense lawyer here in New York. Uh, Ron, welcome to the Pursuit of Justice with Lise Wheel. Welcome. Well, thank you, Lise. Very happy to be here. You know, um, we are here kind of today to talk about uh, what's really become a very sad topic. Uh, Mr. Schneiderman and his his fall from grace. Um, 
really overnight. I mean, it was just, uh, I remember just over the weekend, uh, last weekend, getting the article and reading it and just being almost, you know, brought to tears reading about these alleged victims, what happened to them. And then, of course, over this last week, finding out there's a special prosecutor that's been appointed um, because of conflicts of interest here in New York and reading about the special prosecutor's background. And she's got an amazing one. She's prosecuted a lot of sexual offender cases before. She's got a lot of, uh, you know, very, uh, a very austere background. And you know Miss Singas, don't you? You have had uh, personal experience with her. Yeah, I, I have ongoing litigation against her office that's been going on, oh gosh, for about 15 years now. It, it, it's a really long story, but, but it started under former district attorney, now Congresswoman Kathleen Rice. Right, give us the Reader's, Reader's Digest version, especially of the Friedman case. Uh, the Reader's Digest version is in the late 1980s, there was mass sex abuse hysteria uh, that was going on around the United States, where increasingly bizarre, improbable, and physically impossible acts of mass sexual abuse of children uh, was allegedly taking place. Instead of uh, sort of trying to damp down the hysteria, too frequently local law enforcement played it up. And so you had cases like the famous McMartin case in California where, you know, hundreds of children were not raped at the local daycare center or or the uh, Kelly Michaels case in New Jersey where she did not sexually abuse multiple children in her kindergarten class while playing the piano and turning them into mice and other kinds of things. The Friedman case was very much a part of that. Jesse Friedman uh, accused of multiple uh, constant, persistent over a long course of conduct, raping eight-year-old boys in a computer class that he was helping his father to teach. The, The allegations were were just sort of increasingly bizarre and and ultimately, you know, sort of impossible. Uh, And no students ever complained. No parents ever complained. It was not as though some uh, alleged victim had come forward and said, wow, mommy, something bad happened. Right, but that was 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 then and this is now. Yeah, well, unfortunately, so much of now is informed by then. Uh, so it gets very, very difficult to to overturn these kinds of wrongful convictions. And Jesse pled guilty because he was threatened with spending the rest of his life in prison. So we've been fighting to overturn that case since uh, the filmmaker Andrew Jarecki made the documentary Capturing the Freedmans and back in 2004. And the Nassau County District Attorney's Office, first under Kathleen Rice, uh, and then under Madeline Singas has consistently opposed us at, at, at every turn. Uh, How- so I've gotten to know, but I've gotten to know the office quite well in the past twelve years of litigation. How has Ms. Singas been? How has she been in, you know, in look, handling these cases? She's uh, an interesting person. I mean, she's not a politician. 
Um, in, in that sense, she's like the current Kings County District Attorney, Eric Gonzalez, not a politician, but uh, a, a line prosecutor all of her life. So she doesn't have great political ambitions or political flash or political grudges to carry out against other people, okay, which uh, is all good. Ron, you started out by talking about the, the 1980s and cases where children um, had not been abused. And we know about those very famous cases. They were horrible because I think they they pushed back um, real cases and they they hurt real victims, right? And and yep. but are you are you saying here today that um, that you know that the victims in the alleged victims in the Eric Schneiderman case, you know, aren't aren't you don't believe that they're real victims? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying anything of the sort. Nor do I think I implied that for a second. I, I am talking about, you asked, since you asked about the Friedman case and, and its trajectory, I, I thought I'd give it to you. Um, the, the Certainly, as accusers who have had their accounts reported in public go, without seeing any evidence, without seeing anything besides the one thing I think we've all seen, the Jane Mayer and Ronan Farrell article, uh, many of those allegations sound very credible uh, in the sense that, yeah, this is how people behave when they're drunken, control freak, alcoholic, rageaholics. Yeah, there's multiple uh, women here who have come forward who don't know each other, who tell a, a remarkably similar and disturbing story. Right. Uh, so, so I mean, if read the article, one, I think, is inclined to believe their account. I don't know what else there is or really what else there, there could be. I, I will say that, that these days, uh, public figures facing the Me Too movement do one of, of two things. Uh, one is they completely deny it and call the victims liars and crooks and opportunists and swear they've never met them or if they did, they don't remember. You know, that's President Trump and mm-hmm. Roy Moore and, and the like. Uh, the other thing they, they the other response is to quit, resign um, and give whatever reason you want. Uh, you put a spin on it. It's you know, it's. I don't remember it that way, or that's not my recollection of what happened, but, but in essence, not a denial of the, the basic facts. And, and that does suggest that you at least are aware enough to realize you, you need to step down, and that's what Schneiderman did. Whether any of this becomes ultimately a criminal case very much remains to be seen, though. Well, he's hired certainly a, a criminal defense attorney, Isabel Kirshner. Um, so he's 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 got he's lawyered up, um, and he well, so he, there's a criminal investigation right. going on. He so knows usually what you hire a lawyer. I mean, he knows he's facing real. Uh, you know, this is not just about a settlement or something like that. This is he's facing real. Uh, jail time. I mean, he could go to prison for many years over this. You know, this is this is could rise to the uh, level of felony assault and and beyond. I, I I think that making this out as felony assault under New York State law, based solely on the accounts that I've read, I think that that's a stretch. Uh, Why I, I, I do. Because in order to commit the crime of felony assault, you have to intend to cause 
serious physical injury and serious physical injury. He was injury, slapping as, them. He, he, he hit them. You know, I mean, he, he abused right. them. And, and serious physical injury under New York state law is something much more substantial than a black eye. Well, one woman still a, has a, 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 a problems I'm with sorry? her ears. She's got ringing in her problems in her ears. She's got ringing in her ears still. I mean, that testimony will still come out, obviously. I don't know any more I, I, than the article I, again, said. But. I mean, I, I understand that perhaps this should not be the law in New York state, but we have long drawn a distinction for better or worse between physical injury. So a woman has to be basically near dead before she can get a felony assault in the state. You know, somewhere least between like getting a black eye and being near dead, there's, there's a wide space in between. And that happens to be what the law is. Now, if you don't like it, right, and you think that, that, that it should be felony, B violent felony, you know, A felony, there's a legislature you can go to. But, but New Yorkers are sort of frequently smacking, beating, hitting, punching, and having bar fights with each other. And as a general matter, as a general matter, uh, as long as no weapon or other instrumentality is used, it generally doesn't rise to felony-level assault. So he could have, assuming that the article is true, he could have a row and a row of, of a, a row of rows, and it not be leveling, uh, rising to the level of felony assault. That's right. Now, it certainly the conduct described rises easily to the level of misdemeanor assault. That mm-hmm. still carries a year in jail, uh, with every separate episode being a separate year in jail. So you can take some comfort in that, I suppose. But, but it's a little premature, I, I think, to discuss how much time he's looking at before right, right. there's, A, an investigation, and, and significantly, what... The accusers in this case decide they want uh, uh, out of this case. Well, on that and point, that, on that point, one of the accusers kept going back to him. Michelle Bear, she kept going back to him. Well, how does that enter in in a case like this? Well, you know what? I think most people who are familiar with with uh, battered women know that mm-hmm. that that's like the fact that she comes back because you promise you won't do it again. Right. That's not a defense to no. doing it. No, no, it's um, not. You know, so I don't think that, and and the idea that how how bad it could have been because she kept coming back. Right. Um, that's like a nineteen eighteen sixties view of right. of society, but it may also be that the women who were involved with him uh, don't want him to go to jail don't want him to be criminalized, and don't want to participate in a public prosecution. And that's where a, a, a domestic violence prosecutor, a sex crimes prosecutor, uh, really has to be very careful and weigh decisions very, very carefully, because the, the accuser's interests, or if you will, the victim's interests, is not necessarily the same as the interest of the state. But in a case like this, it's hard to make out your case without the cooperation of the accusers. 
Well, th- th- with the pro- this prosecutor, Ms. Singus, she must have come up against that many, many times because she's such an experienced prosecutor prosecuting sex offender crimes. Do you think she will go ahead, even though somebody like Michelle, the, this uh, Michelle Barish, you know, may say, "I'm not going to go forward." This prosecutor will—is it in her mo to keep going forward, keep pursuing a, a case like this? Well, she certainly is going to if she decides there's a, a, a basis, because there's also some statute of limitations issues. I know everybody right. hates these technicalities until they become defendants, like the description of the offense and the statute of limitations. But assuming she decides there's a, a, a reasonable basis to go forward with some charge or some set of charges or another, uh, she certainly is going to try to persuade the accusers to participate in the process and explain to them why uh, D.A. Singus thinks it's in their best interest and the best interests of justice to move forward. It's easier to do when you're dealing with children, of course, right? because right. children are easier to coerce into testifying and it's easier to coerce their parents into having them testify than it is, you know, grown up adult people, some of whom at least have law degrees themselves and have a degree of sophistication and, and autonomy with respect to the system. So I don't know. If she's going to have that problem, I, I think she will try very, very hard to persuade the the uh, complainants to go forward if there's a case to proceed on. But whether she would use all of the tools in her armamentarium, that is, issue grand jury subpoenas and threaten perjury charges unless they repeat what they said to Ronan Farrow and Jane Mayer, I don't know. And I don't know if if that would be a good idea. And that's where the whole idea of kind of fairness and balancing comes in. Right. And that's why it's a good thing that she's not an ambitious, she's not a politician. I mean, she may end up seeking other office at some point somehow. But, but, but she's not. Primary- I mean, the, re- the reason we keep we keep mentioning the politician part of this is because we 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 don't want this person who's tasked with being a special prosecutor in this case to be using it as a stepping stone to trying to uh, you know get herself into public office to try to get the headlines for being such a tough prosecutor. A Giuliani, for example, you know, to try to be using this. Right. I mean, just why do I think of that? For I don't know to try to be getting this know. to get it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, why does that come to mind? Um, to be getting this, right. you know, to be you know, be to, to be furthering her career. That's the last thing we want. At really, what is you know, and we started this off. Um, at really what is I want your I want your opinion on this, Ron. Um, at really a very sobering moment because whatever you think of Eric Schneiderman, this is a sad there are no winners in this. I mean, this is a sad moment here um, to find out about uh, this man and what's been allegedly, we have to keep saying allegedly, been happening to these women for this long of a time. I mean, this is an incredibly um, devastating thing to be finding out. Lisa, I I think that honestly depends these days on where you are politically. If you're a Trump supporter, it's not sad. It's occasion for great rejoicing, finger pointing. Yeah, yeah, the Kelly, yeah, I was just talking a little bit earlier about... um, uh, Kellyanne Conway's tweet when she found out about this, her response right. was, gotcha. 
which right, I exactly. found just horrific. So, but so the, there's about 35 percent of the arguably adult population that doesn't find it sad at all. For those of us who were supporters of much of Eric Schneiderman's agenda, though, in, in terms of the various reforms that he's, he's enacted, including his groundbreaking work as a legislator in, in repealing the draconian Rockefeller drug laws, it, it's sad that he is accused of the, these things. It's sadder still that it looks like he may have done these things. It's not a shouldn't be a huge shock to, to anybody, given how many people have have had these accusations credibly leveled at them over the past few years uh, from you know television personalities to to uh, uh, people in, in the legal profession and, and elsewhere. Uh, and so, yeah, it's sad that that. He is no longer in a position to carry out a progressive agenda, but it's also totally appropriate that he's not. Right. Um, right. I, 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 I think that if you're going to to try to be this better person, you've got to be that better person. Right. Uh, and and look, this is not as though. Somebody comes forward 50 years later and says, when I was 18, Eric Schneiderman, you know, forcibly French kissed me. These are well, these are allegations. serious allegations. Right. They're Absolutely. serious. They're recent. They took place during his tenure as attorney general of the state of New York. And so, you know, I, 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 I understand highly functioning alcoholics, uh, but it's time for him to take a take a, a big step back, get himself into a program and figure out, you know, what he's going to do with his life after he stops being uh, uh, defended. Right. Well, he's got an attorney now, Isabel Kirshner. She's got quite a pedigree. She does yeah, not. I, ha- I know Isabel. I, oh. Isabel's a great lawyer, great do- criminal defense she lawyer. She does not have a lot of sexual ab- abuse uh, uh, experience that I noted in her pedigree here. Um, but-, but most of this was not sexual abuse. I mean, if you, if you listen to the accounts, there wasn't actual, what even in the Bill Clinton world passes for actual sex going on. Well, um, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. They weren't having sex when he sex. hit them. Allegedly. Well, not, no, a lot of times in, not in every case. Uh, I, I don't think actually in, in most cases, uh, uh, Barge told uh, an account, pushed back against that account by saying we were standing there having an argument fully closed. Right. That's what, yeah, exactly. Um, they weren't having so sex. So this is, yeah, this is more right. sort of drunken male rage control assault kind of behavior. Right. Uh, more so than, than sex abuse particularly. But and she in has, my view, is a criminal She has gotten order. a lot of people off, uh, She's got had a lot of favorable negotiations. Gotten uh, you know a doctor off for, uh, before he was uh, charged. Even I mean he's gotten dismissal dismissal of a lot of charges. Defended a lot of folks. Got a lot of people off. So she's got uh, quite a record. Um, so you've got two very strong uh, w- professional women going against each other here in this case. Yeah, and I suppose the ultimate question is what. Is there a prosecutable case here without bending and distorting uh, statutes of limitations and the definition of offenses? If there is such a case, 
do the complaining witnesses who are crucial to this case want to go forward? And if they don't, how far are you going to push them? Uh, and what is the disposition that you want to see? Uh, and, and part of that revolves around the notion of what is fair under the circumstances. What should happen to Schneiderman? Should he go to jail? Should he be disbarred? He's already resigned. Should he go to a, get three years probation with anger management? Uh, you know, and I think that, that it, it's that area uh, first and foremost, that I think discussions uh, among the defense and prosecution will take place. You know, what do people want to see happen at the end of this? Ron, I think you just summed it up just perfectly. Um, that's Ron Kuby. He is with Ron Kuby uh, Law Firm here in Manhattan. Thank you, Ron. I, I hope to spin the wheel again. Absolutely. Come oh. spin the wheel anytime. Bye. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's Pursuit of Justice. We've had a couple of interviews where we've tried to do that exactly, pursue justice. And I've asked the questions that I hope that you would have asked if you had these people right here in your living room asking them the kind of questions that you'd want to know. With Anthony Scaramucci, I tried to find out what he really thinks of Donald Trump, his former boss. And with Ron Kuby, I tried to find out what he thinks, what would really, what would really happen with Eric Schneiderman going forward. I tried to ask the kind of questions that you would want to know, that you're wondering, that you want to find out in your pursuit of justice, because that's what we're about here at The Pursuit of Justice with Lise Wheel. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.